A reading from the book of Jeremiah, beginning in the fourth chapter. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people. Not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. For my people are foolish, they do not know me, They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. Into the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolation, yet I will not make a full land. Because of this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black, for I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of the Lord. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier this week, I uh, had the chance to be on campus at George Fox University. Um, I serve as a priest there in the city of Newburgh. Um, George Fox was actually where I first met Father Stephen. He came out for a visit when I was in my ordination process, and he was there to provide some calming words. Like Father Stephen moving over from another stream, I too was in uncharted waters and, uh, and was really grateful for your rector. He's been a good friend through a lot of change. Well, I was on campus just this past week and a young student um, came up to me and asked me a question after a lecture I was sitting in on and she was clearly carrying a burden. Um, she had quite a look in her eye of someone um, who's weighed down. She shared with me that she's got a group of friends back home, and these friends, most, mostly atheists, uh, one Jew, she said, and these friends, um, they really don't see anything in the church very attractive. They don't see anything in the church that gives them much interest uh, or any sense of hope. She's a pastor's kid, she also said, and she was carrying both the burden of looking at their complaints, of looking at their frustrations, being, being very realistic about the kinds of things that caused her, her friends to feel the way they do. And simultaneously, having seen this, the many ordinary miracles that take place in the people of God. I mean, could anybody have a better perspective of these two simultaneous realities than a pastor's kid? You know, our 
texts this morning, our Old Testament text first, and then our gospel text, really stretch us to see two pieces of mission. And this begins with looking, the prophet tells us. The prophet dared to look. The prophet says again and again, I looked, and I looked, and I looked. I once heard the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann talk about this text as the demolition of Jerusalem is surveyed, that it's a lot like what happened in our hearts when we looked at the Twin Towers almost 18 or so odd years ago. Just a looking at creation turning itself back, and that's sort of what the prophet is noticing, that all of the goodness and and symmetry and order of creation is being undone one at a time. This is some serious looking at things for what they are, and this is the beginning, actually, of mission. It's the beginning of returning to the Lord and having his goodness return to us. And I, I, I applaud this young gal, but she was looking really honestly at the hurt in her friends and their disinterest in the church, and it was the beginning point. I didn't have any good words for her, but I knew that the church needs to have words for her. The church needs to have something to say for this young woman who's carrying this simultaneous burden for her friends and what they see. And at the same time, the hope she wants to see extended to them through the body of Christ. Our epistle this morning, Paul is talking to his young protege, and he's inviting Timothy to see these two things at the same time. And he's talking about his own life. And we might wonder as we read, wonder what this young pastor Timothy is having to deal with. (laughs) I'm thinking of uh, teachers who have about 12 days back in the classroom, and that's who kind of comes to mind right now, is all of the complexities of what the life Timothy was walking through. And listen to Paul's encouragement to Timothy. He says, he, Paul, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, he tells Timothy that he's grateful. Because in spite of all these seeming disqualifications, the Lord Jesus Christ has strengthened him and appointed him to his service. I couldn't help in reading this this week and and pondering this young woman that I saw at the university, I couldn't help but think of some of my own unsavory and ugly acts and words as I've walked through my life as part of the church. I thought about my adolescence, and I cautiously invite you to ponder your own adolescence for a moment, if you dare. I remember... um, Boy, oh boy, um, it's a little embarrassing. I, uh, I remember I was into to punk rock when I was uh, 13, 14, 15, right in those, those years. And um, there's lots of bands that I would go see. And one of the bands that I liked was a band called Bad Religion. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just so embarrassed to say these words right now for lots of reasons. They're not even that good. And, uh, and, and their insignia, those of you who know this kind of mid-early 90s uh, rock, you know that their insignia is a cross that's kind of X'd out. Um, unbelievably, right? Like, uh, I look at my garb now, one clearly leads to the other, I guess. And, and you know, I, I 
tossed off that garb uh, about junior year, thank goodness. But I've realized that um, up until, you know, maybe an hour ago or less, I still don that same heart. I still uh, push the cross away out of my life. I still take this thing that has been handed to me, handed down to me, this, this place of life, and I still cast it aside. And I look back on these things, maybe the way Paul was, was thinking and looking back in his letter to Timothy, and yet finding himself landing in a place of gratitude. I wonder what your road has been like. Can you look back on the ways that you've sinned and indulged the flesh? You know, these are not just rearview mirror memories, are they? These are things that we're, we're stuck in now. These are places we're weak now. But Paul asks Timothy to stop and think about the place he's sitting now, the place that he resides now, and to recognize that the Lord has brought him a tremendous distance. And we can certainly see now the gospel's immediacy for us. That we've wandered off and the Lord has not left us there. Like ponder some of the places that we've wandered off to. And Paul describes that we act ignorantly, we're lost or obstinate in unbelief. We have set aside the faith. We have been without love. But the grace of the Lord overflows for us. There was a saying in Paul's day, apparently, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul says he is the foremost. Well, this saying presents a real conundrum for us for mission, does it not? That it's simultaneously these same embarrassing, broken pieces of ourselves that we might have felt, might still do feel, that they disqualify us. It's precisely these that the Lord intends to make an example of. Oh, those are the words Paul uses. Who likes to be made an example of? But this is what the Lord is inviting us to see. He has pulled us from places that would seem to disqualify us. He has not left us in those places. Uh, an interesting little note about our gospel text is in the Gnostic gospel of Thomas, the one sheep that's out and is collected by the shepherd. That sheep in Thomas's gospel is the biggest sheep, like it's the plumpest, fattest sheep with, you know, the best, uh, they don't have fur, do they? They have wool, that's right. But you know what? Luke's gospel, everything about the way Luke's gospel is delivered, it reminds us it was probably the smallest sheep, wasn't it? It was probably the sheep that otherwise would seem, you know, the most uh, promising, the most valuable in our eyes. But this is precisely the point that the lectionary drives home for us today. It's in Luke's gospel that we see that the Lord comes and finds us, not because of our perceived value, 
but because this is the example he's making for the sake and for the life of the world. For this very reason, Paul says, you and you and you have received mercy so that in you, as the chief among sinners, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making you an example to those who had come to believe in him for eternal life. The Lord Jesus notices when even one of his goes missing. He doesn't get angry that they've wandered off. And the question then becomes, will we rejoice? This is really how the whole thing starts in Luke's gospel, is there's people who have gathered, the religious leaders, and when Jesus starts eating and breaking bread with with these sinners, with these folks who have been brought back by the shepherd, there isn't rejoicing. As if this weren't the story, as if this weren't the very story of how God is faithful to the world. You know, we get a small taste of bread and wine at the Lord's table, and part of that reminder is that these humble gifts, these small things, they nourish. It's that these seemingly insignificant offerings of bread and a little wine, that these are the gifts that he gives us his very self in. And Paul ends with these words that I I pray we can make our prayer as we stare in the face of this tension of our own, our own foibles, our own memories of wandering off, and yet the Lord's grace to us, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.